Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. It is Friday the 14th of November 2014, screaming on down to the end of the year, crazy stuff. My name is Kevin Garber, I am the CEO and the co-founder of Manage Flitter, which is an application that helps you work smarter and faster on Twitter. In fact, you might be listening to this um, show while you're actually using Manage Flitter because we post it up on the Manage Flitter app. So thank you very much to all our um, free paid business users. And we have a very special show. This is our 50th anniversary show. So this is our, um, you know, over 50 hours worth of podcast. We started a little while back and I thought we'd do something a little bit different. Instead of the interviews, um, interviewing, um, you know, uh, we usually interview a a third party person, company about a product, service, etc. I thought we'd do a three-way chat with um, some of the team um, who have been on the podcast before. Of course, the regular co-host with me, James Peter, um, who's CEO and um, sorry, not CEO. It's been a long week, as they always are. CTO and co-founder. Almost came to promotion. Almost. <laughs> believe me, believe me. It's not. It's not a promotion. Um, it's CTO and co-founder and general genius James Peter, and we have another um, dev genius, Charles Mathieu, who's from Cape Town, South Africa. James is in Vancouver, Canada at the moment, um, and Charles is in Cape Town, South Africa, and he's another general genius um, and working on Manage Flutter, a lot on the back end, bits and pieces, and Charles with us from Cape Town. Good day, everybody. Thanks for joining us, crew. We, we, we're juggling three different time zones. We have someone tired because it's first thing in the morning. We have someone tired because it's last thing at night. And uh, you have someone tired just because, um, you know, no particular good reason. Anyway, we've got a fantastic show. We thought we'd do something a little bit different. We thought we'd drag the guys in and we'd talk about a, a bunch of news stories because there's always so much news going on and we always have to race through them because we've got an interview coming up. So we thought we'd spend a good 45 minutes to 60 minutes just chomping through some of all the chunky news bits and pieces. So we're just going to chew the fat on some of the latest tech news. So why don't we get straight into it? Um, one of... The trends that's been emerging very, very rapidly, and I'm very interested in, is the wearable space. I've been a user of Jawbone. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that I love my Jawbone. I'm very into the quantified self, starting to measure everything about um, the human body and your own body with the view to improving things. And um, there's been all sorts of wearable devices popping up everywhere. So, um, One that I saw today out of Israel on a Kickstarter campaign um, is one called BitByte. James, you had a bit of a look at that. Um, So BitByte is is supposed to help you track and improve your eating habits. It's a little wearable that you pop into your ear and it tracks your jaw movement and it analyzes how well, how fast, etc., you're chewing with the view to improving your chewing and hence digestion. What do you think of uh, this wearable, James? Yeah, it's, an, it's a very interesting idea. I was quite, I was quite surprised when I saw it. Um, I mean, I, I, first of all, I really like the concept. I mean, I think it's something I've, I've really wanted for a while. Um, you know, I, I really would 
like some system that's sort of much better at sort of tracking what I eat and, and my calories and all that kind of stuff. I've I've tried it many times without success, and the trouble is is that um, you know current systems just involve just a whole bunch of data entry. Like you, you pretty much the only way to, to track the stuff currently is just to just be really studious in um, in recording what you do um, and just every single thing you eat, and I'll just get like good data on it, um, which is which is pretty much exactly the opposite of what I like to do. So um, I hate doing that kind of stuff. So I've I've always failed at doing it. So I mean, this kind of space really really interests me actually. Um, and so so what Bitbyte does is is it um, sits in your ear and um, it, it uses a microphone to essentially tr um, track when you're eating, um, which is which is very cool. I mean, so if, you, if you're willing to sort of put something in your ear every time you eat, um, you can get this whole bunch of um, data out of it, um, which, which yeah, is very, very interesting. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, I took quite a look through the site. I mean, in, in their ads and in their videos and stuff, they seem to show... Um, data on um, what it can track, and um, it can obviously track things like how many times you're sort of biting and when you, when you're actually eating. Um, and that kind of data is um, is obviously relatively easy from sort of a scientific point of view to track using using sound and if something's sticking in your ear. Um, but they also show that it sort of collects some data on sort of just like raw grams of or raw volume of food that's consumed, um, and also calories. Um, they don't flesh very much that out on the site. I mean, if it really can do that stuff, that'd be pretty amazing. Um, and they do talk about having to do some sort of data entry. So I would suspect that the actual calorie and volume stuff is probably requires data entry. I don't, I don't see how that kind of device could, um, could, could track it. I mean, unless an apple sounds different to a, to a carrot or something. I don't, I don't <laughs> from, think so. From what I understand, what I understand, they use a, a vocal input. So when you're actually eating a piece of food, you can say, I'm eating an apple. And then it will know that you're now eating an apple. <laughs> right, yeah. So you, you, you've got to say, I mean, obviously, I would suspect, I mean, obviously that... Um, the voice recognition stuff is going to be a bit shaky as well, and you've got to be specific, otherwise you're not going to get it right. So, um, I mean, it's probably a little bit of an overhead if you do want to get all that data, but I guess it's, at least it's a lot better than, you know, the current systems are out there. Um, and um, um, just to remember, it is it is only on a uh, Indiegogo campaign at the moment, so it doesn't actually exist, or at least on the, the commercial scale. Um, so it's it's probably still uh, v uh, very much work in progress. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's very interesting. I mean, the one thing I was thinking about this thing is, I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit awkward maybe to have to carry around um, a device just for tracking what you're eating and then having to remember to sort of put it in and 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 then sort of charge it and like they've got all these weird things like a wristband and a clip for it that you have to then sort of pull out one part and stick it in your ear when you eat. Um, which which is okay, but I mean I think quite an interesting um, use of this technology might actually just be like uh, to make a very sort of smart, you know, um, earbud headphone that, that's already sitting in your ear. Um, they just need to add a mic to it and maybe the correct uh, form factor, um, and then you just got to make sure you got like one one earbud in when you eat food, um, and it just passively tracks it all. Um, I mean, there's obviously quite a lot of valuable data that you can get out and just telling how frequently somebody is eating and for what length of time and how many bites they're taking, that kind of stuff. I'd imagine you could probably get some pretty interesting data out of that alone without having all the extra tracking stuff. I've got some uh, friends that go to these crazy macrobiotic food retreats and they, the philosophy there is to chew your food really, really well. 
and um, I don't know, they're supposed to do chew each mouthful of, or, you know, grain of rice for 20 times or something, and apparently it's supposed to. Um, so I don't know, I haven't, I'm not exactly sure about the science behind chewing, um, but um, I, I believe in the Western society we don't chew enough. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the, the features of the device, and here it's supposed to be a, a trainer to help you eat better as well, which is, which is kind of cool. So that's BitBite um, out of uh, Israel being crowdfunded. And, of course, we always put the show notes up at itsamonkey.com where you can also have a look at previous episodes. Um, and Israel seems to be getting quite strong into the wearables. They also, um, a crew out of there was doing that device that actually analyzed the foods. Remember, James, there was one on show at, I think it's called Sio. One yeah, of, Disrupt. Yeah, on show at the TechCrunch Disrupt. I actually ordered one of those. So I'm waiting for it. So I, I hope it goes into production soon. Of course, the issue with these wearables is you just land up with 300 devices, um, which is which is the challenge. But this is very much, um, I guess, part of the evolution. One day there'll be the, uh, the ultimate wearable, just like the mobile phone has consolidated everything. Um, Jawboat... Get Sorry? a wearable to hold all your wearables. <laughs> well, I think, the ulti- I think the ultimate and the quantifiable self will be some, some sort of microchip um, that, you know, powers an issue, but some sort of microchip that can just, you know, be under the hood, so to speak. But I think, I think we're a long way from there, and at least all these wearables will prove a use case of what, what, where the actual value is and, and what we can get out of it and what sticks with people. Um, speaking of wearables and jawbones, Jawbone um, excitingly announced their new version um, of their device. I use their, I think it's called the Up, um, the UP24. If I could, up this. 24, yeah, yeah, Up Up24. Charles Charles also got one. Um, so now they up to, uh, now they've just announced their Up3, um, which Charles includes a heart rate monitor. But inter- interestingly, they've developed their own technology because um, I, I believe most wrist heart rate monitors. Um, are actually um, not very accurate, but Jawbone have actually uh, designed a new way that they can actually measure the, the, the heart rate monitor with a new, a new technique, which seems quite interesting. I'm not sure how inaccurate they are. I just know that the general way of doing it is through optics, and that requires a lot of power, which means that you normally have to have very bulky uh, sensor arrays on you to measure this kind of stuff. So they've chosen to go for something that's much, sim- much more similar to what you get from the heart rate monitors in a gym. Um, and it uses uh, field impedance to track certain uh, metrics, including your heart rate, um, which also is, uses a lot less energy, which means you can do it in a, the, the sensor array can go into a much smaller uh, package or platform, which is, which is great, which means it's you know, easier to wear and whatnot. Well, yeah, I, I've, I just bought myself a uh, heart rate monitor standard, you know, around the chest heart rate monitor. Um, and um, be, because I was advised that the wrist heart rate monitors aren't very, aren't very um, accurate. So it'll be interesting if, if Jawbone does actually pull this off and does get some accuracy. There'll be one less thing I have to wear when I exercise. That would be, well, like I said, it uses exactly the same technology as bioimpedance and what those ones that you strap around your chest do. So, you know, you should be able to get some, some of the same kind of information. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, I'm really bummed because I just got my jawbone up 24 and now they've released the up three, which seems to be a much nicer um, device. So it's always that uh, bit of buyer's remorse, unfortunately, as yeah. you buy at the end of a technology or yeah. a, a, a technology. Yeah, look, and who knows what what Apple Watch is going to have as well, and um, 
you know, it's just the, na the nature, the beauty and the, the weakness of our industry. It moves really fast. Um, but um, I think they're, they're going to have some, some other senses um, on, the, on, the, on the latest. Um, trying to the see here. Yeah, the up three. Yeah, so it does heart rate, uh, respiration rate, and galvanic skin response. So galvanic skin response is skin conductance. Um, I think what that measures actually is, um, actually, I'm not sure what that measures, to be perfectly honest. I think that um, this, the, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember, I did read, I did read that um, somewhere. It's like water, water intake or uh, dehydration or something like yeah, that. Hydration, yeah, I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously all this stuff requires sort of algorithms to estimate it it's not necessarily like exact measures but um but yeah obviously it gets you know better better with time as well Shall yeah, so sorry galvanic skin sorry galvanic skin response measures the sweat induced moisture on your skin so that might just be an indication of how well you respirate or you're, you're you're sweating essentially how what what kind of workloads you're doing but obviously that would be different from person to person as some people sweat more than others how you, Charles, you've, you've been um, using the jawbone similar time period to I've been using the jawbone. How have you found it in terms of shifting, uh, you know, your activity or attitude towards exercise? Is it, um, you know, is it integrated with your life? I don't think it's really changed my attitude much because um, I already know what I'm doing wrong because of my background. Um, but what it has done in a really great way is just to make me more, much more aware of the fact that I'm sedentary. So sitting still and it gives you a little buzz if you've been sitting still for too long so you can go, you know, get up and go do some stuff. So the fact that it prompts me um, has really been very, very useful. The other thing that I found very useful is tracking my sleep um, more than anything else. Uh, that's very important for me to try and keep a handle on because my sleeping patterns are sometimes very erratic and quite bad. So it's been helping me, you know, get to bed at a specific time to try and, you know, extend my, my deep versus uh, light sleep and try and avoid those periods where you wake up in the night and stay awake for an hour or two, that kind of stuff. So that's been great for me, actually. Um, it is mainly a step measuring device, um, though it allows you to add other uh, workouts, like I go to the gym four times a week, four or five times a week. Um, it allows you to enter that workout, but it doesn't really reflect that in a, in a sort of, it doesn't uh, merge your step data and any other exercise data in, in a single sort of uh, exercise graph. So it's hard to track all your effort in one place. So that's the only real failure that I can see in the 24 up. Do you enjoy the social media network aspect of it, seeing sort of how many steps or when I've gone on a run or, you know, or, or some of the other team, you know, what their sleep's been like? Does that, do, you, do you look through that at all? Uh, very rarely have a look at that, um, maybe once a month. <laughs> so the social aspect of it doesn't really, uh, you know, I haven't really been that engaged in it that much. I, I would like it if there was some more interesting challenges, team challenges that one could do via that platform. I think there's a lot more potential there that they're not tapping into. That's a very um, interesting not, idea, yeah. Not just a simple, you know, step challenge, so, you know, something a bit more interesting. So with the new um, UP3, I think it also has a way to measure up and down movement, not just backwards and forwards, ah, or not just okay. step movements. So with the new one, maybe they will, you know, you'll be able to do challenges like, you know, stair challenges, who's done two or three flights of stairs a day, or who's done the most stairs the day. So that would be interesting stuff to do as well. 
It's funny, I'm, I asked that question recently. Um, I, I said to one of the developers, Andre, I said, is there a way we can, you know, because Jawbone have an API through their app app. And then I said, is there a way we can, um, y- you know, do we got a stair, had a stair challenge internally for charity um, to walk up and down our 13 flights here. And, um, you know, that's what he said. He said the new Jawbone can track the ups and downs and uh, automatically, you know, be able to whack something into a spreadsheet for us. Um, that I mean, you're not a social media person in general, though, so it doesn't really surprise me that the network, um, you know, you're not you're not fascinated. I I, I notice, I notice you guys there the whole time actually. Okay, and what are you seeing? <laughs> well, I mean, sort of from a from a from a manager's perspective, I actually I actually don't like seeing your sleep because. Um, you know, like I noticed Andre, like, you know, a few times had like four hours sleep on a Monday night or something, you know, and I want to go, you know, wag my finger at him and say, go to bed earlier, young man, you know. <laughs> um, so, and I've actually locked down my sleep, so you guys can't see my sleep as you know, in any case. So the sleep thing, I think, you, you know, it's, I actually, funnily enough, prefer not to see. I think it's quite a sort of personal activity and, and it's... Um, you know, but the the exercise I do, I I do like it. it I do find it motivates me, especially I'm a bit competitive with Andre, and um, you know I do like seeing that. And it would be good if we, if 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 it had a little bit more sophistication. Um, and I do notice when you um, log a uh, workout at the gym. Oh, one thing, why why do you log a five? I see sometimes you log a, a five minute walk. Uh, so for every workout, for every workout, there's a five-minute warm-up period, and that's a very brisk five-minute walk with my arms swinging. Right. So when you're doing heavy weightlifting, especially in your in your upper body where you're involving your shoulders, so any kind of press or pull in your upper body, um, it's very important to make sure your shoulders are warmed up properly, and that I essentially do by doing a very brisk walk and swinging my arms like a crazy windmill. Okay, interesting. I was wondering why why you log a five-minute walk as a separate activity. Um, Anyway, you're listening to Kevin Garber, James Peter, Charles Mathieu, all from Manage Flitter. We're talking uh, about wearables, tech news. You're listening to the It's a Monkey podcast. Remember, you can subscribe at itsamonkey.com. You can pop in your um, your email address so you get notified when the uh, podcast is released. You can tweet about us, email us. Um, so interestingly, um, Google released their Android um, fitness app, which is uh, the idea is to be this this unified area, um, you, you know, for all your fitness activity. And they they released it literally a couple of weeks ago. James, you probably haven't tried it because you're an, an Apple person. Um, Charlotte, I don't know if you've tried to plug in some of your apps into this and, and mm-hmm. had a look at Google's app. I actually downloaded the app just before we started the podcast and I was scrolling through it just now and there's no way for me to hook any of my current fitness apps into it. <laughs> so it's it's a bit dead for me. I had a look and it looks like the, the drawbone stuff will only be supported a bit later and um, and that needs to come from the, uh, the, the, you know, the manufacturer's side. It's not really a Google thing. There's so, um, yeah. involves each provider having to actually um, integrate directly with it. Like well, it, they, they provide... An API, right? So if you want your platform to talk to them or them to be able to talk to you, you need to provide some kind of access. Ah, okay, yep. Um, I've I sort of loaded it and and used it. Um, it's I it's pretty confusing. I look, I'm, I'm sure it's first iteration. It's going to get better. I don't particularly 
don't particularly like it. It sort of reminds me a little bit like Google Plus where it's sort of really slick but non-intuitive. Um, but hopefully they'll get better at it. I do like the concept of a, a central repository um, for all the, the wearables and activities and, you know, that, that you don't – you can use one app for all your wearables as opposed to something for jawbone and something for your heart rate monitor and something else. So, James, is it, is it literally the equivalent of uh, Apple's health kit? Uh, it looks very similar. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't looked through it in detail, but it looks it looks very similar. I mean, funnily enough, actually, Apple's one is is not amazing either on the interface side. It's still it's still very early. It almost feels like a glorified um, Excel spreadsheet um, with a few little graphs here and there. So um, yeah, I'm, normally Apple's really great at this stuff. So it's definitely got a long way to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the principle is very similar. You track everything and. Um, and then have one place to display it and everything can integrate with it and, and pull data in and out. Um, and the really interesting side of wearables, which I know that you're really interested in, James, is the virtual reality side of things. And I see that Google invested a fortune of money in something called Magic Leap. Um, do you know much about Magic Leap? I hadn't heard anything about them. No, not not necessarily. Um, it looks like an interesting um, project. It looks like it's something to do with um, augmenting reality or some sort of um, play in in building like the next generation of uh, interactivity or something. Um, yeah, look, I, I'm 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 not too sure. I mean, I I, I my guess would be um, that it's that it's more in the augmented reality space for for Google to be spending this much on it. Um, What's the difference between augmented reality and virtual reality? So, uh, look, in my mind, augmented reality is probably the thing. I think, like, we talk about uh, virtual reality, but I think augmented reality is probably the the real end point of, of where all this technology is going, and, and it's where its real value lies. Um, and well, what's the I, what's the difference between the two? Okay, so to explain it first, so virtual reality is obviously if you if you have something that sort of um, all these devices rely on something that can kind of like um, take over your vision and your and 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 your ears. So basically, you put in headphones and you and you put on goggles and you and you see what they want you to see. So you're no longer kind of seeing the real world; you're seeing. Um, another representation of the world. So the, virtual reality is where the whole thing is digital. So it'd be kind of like watching a movie or something. So, and, uh, this is, and this is what Facebook invested in the Oculus Rift, where you put on a headset and you essentially take it into, you know, quote unquote, the virtual reality. Yeah. Whereas augmented reality is basically um, taking your current physical space, but then adding digital elements to it. So you can kind of do it now with mobile phones like if you hold up your mobile phone you kind of get like and there's some apps that can kind of like put like um iron man sitting on your table or something and flying around and that kind of stuff and so he kind of looks like he's existing in the physical space but he isn't really he's like a digital projection just with inside your phone um and the big difference is when you bring um, virtual reality technology on top is that these things actually really seem like they're happening. It's not like this weird experience like you have with your phone. It's like you really see, you know, Iron Man standing in the room next to you or you really see like, you know, digital marked up information across every physical item in the world. Um, 
and there's there's huge huge things that can happen here. I mean, basically any any device currently, any digital device you currently have um, physically, like a laptop or a wearable or whatever, a TV, um, all these things almost become redundant, right? If you have something that that augments your reality, um, these devices can exist virtually. They don't have to exist as real physical things. They can just exist as um, as uh, virtual projections on the on the physical world. Um, and then there's a whole other side of like um, of you know, it, it dramatically changes things like just your day-to-day experience. Like if you can sort of change your, your, your space, you can kind of like still be seeing your office, but you might have like um, a waterfall in the background or you might, you know, be like on the top of a mountain or something. You can change pretty much anything about your, your physical reality um, but still exist in the real world. Um, so you don't have to exist in this completely separate world. Um, and so, yeah, there's lots of talk about it, lots of excitement about it. And um, it's been going on for a long time, but it's this technology is finally reaching a point where it's um, accessible and, and almost possible. So, like, the tech- technology is there. It's just not kind of packaged correctly yet. It's not quite ready for consumers, but um, it's really close. So that's, that's why it's so exciting. So Google invested nearly $600 million dollars. Um, which, I mean, it's, it's an insane amount of money in this company called Magical Leap. So um, they definitely, um, they definitely uh, Google definitely sees something very special in Magical Leap's technology. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, that's why these companies are, are fighting for this space that doesn't really exist. We don't, don't even know for sure if it will. But, you know, if this stuff takes off, it almost makes almost everything we have currently redundant. So it's almost like disrupting, you know, we, we went through this whole digital revolution where everything was disrupted. And if this happens again, you know, it's, it's you know, if they're fighting for space in this in this new territory. It's probably the biggest um, new territory um, that, that, could, that could happen in a long while. But obviously it's still unknown, but there's, there's so much value there that it, it makes sense to plus, put money in. Plus the interesting thing is Magic Leap is not really a specific technology it looks like it's going to be a platform so they're obviously trying to build the underpinnings of something that's going to feed into something much larger and um, you can imagine if you plug gaming into this kind of thing i mean gaming is a massive industry with lots of money involved if you plug gaming into augmented reality like this you can you know it's just absolutely amazing what you can do with gaming platforms then and um so what it's what it says is uh, in the in the on some of the reports. What we know is that the company uses dynamic digitized light field technology to accomplish the supposedly unique display dynamic, and it may involve glasses of some sort. Just, um, and yeah, as you say, Charles, despite all the secrecy, all signs point to magically being launched as a platform rather than as a direct commercial product. What I'm really interested in is a augmented reality product that works off contact lenses. Seeing as I already wear large, hard contact lenses, that would be an ideal for me because wearing glasses is awful. You break them, you drop them, that kind of stuff. So if I had some way to digitally augment um, my vision or my reality based on my contact lens, that would really be a big win for me. I think there might be another phase of wearables as well. I mean, at the moment, it's about the quantified self. But there, I mean, you bring up a good point in wearables can become about the, the augmented slash enhanced self. Yep. Well, if you have a contact lens on your eye, I think you can actually measure a lot of biometric information via your eye as well. I suspect you'll be able to measure your heartbeat and stuff like that too. Because it's, 
um, very close to the to the surface of your eyeball, and you can measure the different pressure, you know, the the, the rise and fall of the pressure in your eyeball, and that's was probably going to be indicative of your heartbeat and whatnot. So I think you'll be able to pick up a lot of biometric uh, data from your eyeballs. I think um, I think Google have some um, some contact lens that they monitor blood sugar levels or something. I think it already it already exists to to some yep. degree. Yep. Yeah, I, I saw an article on that not too long ago as well. Yes. But I haven't seen something that does reality augmentation yet, similar to what uh, this new platform is, is uh, suggesting they're going to do, um, Magic Leap. Well, Google and Facebook definitely uh, backing backing these technologies. Obviously, still very very early days, but super super exciting, and even feels like uh, feels like medicine, etc. I would imagine just absolutely magical um, to to. Uh, see what see what could happen with virtual and slash augmented realities so um you know 500 million is not that much for google so uh, we'll see what see what eventuates out of there so that's um that's our wearables discussion um we'll put up all the links to the the interesting bits and pieces um that we spoke about we're going to take a short break and then we're just going to chat about some other news items uh, some social media music services etc um so stick with us and we'll be back in a tick the it's a monkey podcast is brought to you by check dog Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. You're back with It's a Monkey Podcast, episode 50. This is a special. This is our 50th episode, 5-0. James, do you remember the first podcast? Uh, I remember being very awkward <laughs> <laughs> and not knowing what to do with my hands and stuff. <laughs> with your hands? <laughs> yeah, I remember, like, like, where do you put your hands, like, when you're talking to a microphone, like... <laughs> You hold what? <laughs> well, I, I, I've got, I'm sitting with one of our broadcast mics here and I hold it. Uh, you know, as you said that, I noticed I was holding it. And one of the nice things about these big chunky mics is you can hold it. But um, now we interviewed um, a professor about, um, you know, our relationship to technology. Anyway, if, you, if you're listening, um, go to itsamonkey.com and you can go to our very, very first podcast. I hope we have improved since then. I'm sure we have. Charles, have you listened to the famous classic episode one? Uh, no, I have not, unfortunately. I think I'll do that immediately after this. Um, if there's any awkwardness in there, there's lots of opportunity for uh, audible blackmail, which is good. Um, yeah, look, I mean, that's a problem when you put something out there in audio. It's, uh, it's there for life and it can come back to haunt you. Um, you know, maybe when we become rich and famous, they'll sample, um, you know, the next, uh, the next Skrillex song will sample some of our audio from our podcast. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> anyway, some of the other stories happening, lots, lots, lots going on in tech as always. Um, as uh, some of you know, we uh, involved in Managed Flutter, which uh, 
sits on top of Twitter, helps you work faster and smart on Twitter. So we're always keeping an eye on what's going on on Twitter. James, Twitter announced some pretty chunky changes. I know that Dick Costello, the CEO, said in one of the earnings calls that they, um, they're going to iterate faster. You know, Facebook's always been pushing the boundary with iterating very fast. <coughs> and um, Twitter's been a little bit slow on that side of things. Um, and they announced some pretty significant changes coming up. Yeah, it seems like they're doing a bit of work to to change things up. Change things up. I mean, it seems like the main thing um, that they're trying to do is sort of increase their focus. So instead of being about um, just sort of users who are sort of logged into their service, they want to sort of grow it to the the large audience. They want to focus on things like syndication. They want to focus on like logged out users, um, and also their new Fabric SDK as well, which sort of mo focuses on trying to uh, improve the entire mobile app space. Is where they're sort of trying to sort of um, get their their fingers into um, to to a little bit. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting move. Um, what were the? Did they mention any uh, specific features that you know of, or was it more just the the general stuff? Yeah, there's um, qu quite a few. Um, they're going to they're going to be building out the direct message inbox, which has been a real bugbear for many many years. I've, there's one thing that I've said has always been a lost opportunity on the Twitter side of things. So uh, <clears throat> let's see what they. Um, they're also looking at trying to improve doing your own personal video clips and sharing that with everybody. Uh, they're also looking at um, look, looking at trying to provide new users with a much easier way to find uh, or discover relevant content and maybe provide them with an upfront um, timeline with all kinds of stuff in there that, that's suitable to what they want. That's a so big one. To, I mean, that, yeah, that's, to, that's a big one of, uh, you know, providing a curated timeline and, and surfacing tweets even of people that you might not necessarily follow yeah definitely it's an interesting move um, I mean it's obviously something um, that, um, that that the people have been talking about a while for a while you know particularly with their competition with Facebook you know Facebook's quite good at well quite good depending on who you talk to um, it actually you know filtering out your you know irrelevant information and stuff you don't want so by Twitter getting better at it it's definitely um, you know a big value play for them um, I mean I know my main timeline is, is just useless right now so um, I should use managed flutter to clean it up but <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> um, <laughs> We'll give you we'll give you a, we'll give you a deal, James, and a pro account. <laughs> That'd be great. Thanks. <laughs> Double the cost. And exactly. So one of the other new features that they're looking at doing is um, giving you a snapshot of important stuff that changed while you were logged on last. So giving you a summary of all the things that you that are relevant but important in your social network that um, you may have missed while you weren't logged on. Look, I mean, I you know I've been with Twitter since the early days. My frustration is um you know nothing's not broke or nothing feels broken to me nothing feels overtly broken to me but that being said um you don't know what you're missing when it's not there so i uh, you, you know I, I try to stay humble around that fact but um i i just don't know i just don't know if if you know, it's right to compare Twitter and Facebook. You know, everyone tries to, and Twitter probably have some sense of envy around, you know, Facebook's user numbers. But I just, I just don't know if um, taking that algorithmic approach is is going to help or harm Twitter. 
Um, I think going forward, Twitter is trying to change the business. And I think what Twitter is doing and what Facebook is doing may actually converge a lot more in the future. So I think that's why a lot of the investors, when they look long term, are doing that. Um, so currently, no, there isn't you know, that much of an overlap. But I think going forward, I think Twitter is really trying to push into very similar spaces that Facebook is doing. And, and I suspect that's why most of the investors and the analysts are looking at Twitter and, and Facebook and uh, Apple for Apple's comparison. And they changed, um, they changed the, the tweet entry bar. They moved it from the side to the top and they changed the little text in between to what's happening. James, do you remember what it was before? It just said tweet, I think. Um, Can't yeah. remember. I think, I think it, it was like something like what's happening now or something or there was something. Oh, no, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, it's, 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 I actually am a little bit annoyed by its new position. It's sort of it's the first thing I see, which is maybe. So, so it's now what's happening. But I think before it might have been tweet. Anyway, I stand corrected. I'm sort of a little bit annoyed with the new position of it because it's sort of the first thing that I see, which is maybe what they want so that people pushes people to tweet more as opposed to being more obscure on the side. They must have tested this, obviously. Yeah, you'd, you'd guess so. Yeah, I know mean, they're obviously quite famous for doing a whole bunch of different tests, so I'd imagine this one converted a little bit better. Um, let, let's see what um, other changes. So, yeah, inline videos. Of course, they've got Vine, but this is separate to Vine, just, just having um, some, some native um, sort of recording videos. And as Charles says, um, surface highlights of what you missed while you were away. Um, instant personalized timelines and direct messages. Um, so they're going to clean up the direct message um, box. Anyway, that's this is going to be interesting. Changes on Twitter. Twitter, of course, has been it's quite, been quite tumultuous. Lots of execs churning through. Just it's been a real sort of rotating doors. And um, I mean, the interesting thing as well, um, you know, compared to Facebook, is Facebook is still headed by Mark Zuckerberg, and the original Twitter founders are pretty much out of the story and uh, sometimes there's there's um you know the classic silicon valley stories all, all have the original founders or most of the big successes all have the original founders still involved with it so um you know i don't know uh, what you guys think uh, how significant it is that dick costello you know he was there since one some of the early days but he's he, he's not a founder yeah it's definitely um it's definitely a problem that they've had. It's definitely, I think, been a bit of a vacuum of um, commitment or something. I would guess. I'm not. I'm not sure. Or passion or something. It just seems like the if the service has floundered for a little while. Of course, though, um, you know, people. You know, when we criticize Twitter, or, or we also got to remember that actually, you know, their revenue has been increasing at 100% a year as well. So uh, they are pretty significant business. So they, they're doing something right. Um, but yeah, it is interesting to, to th- there's, there's a sense of stability around Facebook, I guess, whether they just project that or it's true, but there's definitely a, a sense of, of much more consistency and stability around Facebook than, uh, than Twitter. But this could be just mean that Twitter's best days are, are, are yet to come. Um, share price is sort of picked up just a little bit. Um, I think it's about 40, 42 now. 
Um, so yeah, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how the how the new changes play out. I'm a little bit a uh, little bit apprehensive about it, um, but um, we'll we'll see. Um, I, as long as they don't mess too much with TweetDeck as well, because um, that allows you, uh, I guess, it's to still sort of customize your experience in a, in a bit of a classic sense. Do either of you guys use TweetDeck? No, I don't. Yeah, I, I do. It's my main um, main way interface with Twitter. Um, how often do they update it, James? They don't really update it very often, do they? Since they bought it, like twice. <laughs> no, they've, they've done a few times when they've had UI refreshes, but no, I haven't seen anything, at least nothing major for, for a good year, maybe two years. Um, yeah, look, I, I still like TweetDeck a lot. Um, fantastic product. Um, if you are newish to Twitter and you haven't checked out TweetDeck, give TweetDeck um, a go. Um, so you listen to Kevin Garber, James Peter, Charles Mathieu on the It's a Monkey podcast. Um, it's been a news special. We'll just um, finish up with a couple of stories or two. Remember, you can uh, subscribe to receive an email notification at itsamonkey.com when the newsletter goes out. Um, Google is going to be launching a YouTube music service. Now, this is something which I think has been a long, obvious thing. I mean, we all use YouTube for music a lot, music videos, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and they're actually finally are la- launching an official subscription service. Yeah, I thought this was was pretty cool. Um, I mean, it's quite interesting actually, in light of the whole um, Spotify and um, Taylor Swift. Uh, Taylor Swift, yes, and the whole light of that debate. It's it's very interesting. It's um, I, I don't know if, if you've read that that post that um, that the CEO of Spotify brought out. Did you, did you read that one recently? I read about it. I've read quite a bit about that whole Spotify story. That was she would have made six million dollars or something like that. Something's that effect, yeah. I mean, a lot of the artists. There's a bit of a you know people aren't necessarily comparing apples to apples, and there's depending on who you talk to, you know, Spotify either you know is the devil or the or the savior of the of the music industry and. Um, and obviously, for for some artists, it works really well. But others, it doesn't doesn't work quite as well. Um, but it depends if you compare them with the existing music music industry, or if you compare them with piracy. Um, and so, if you compare them with piracy, obviously, Spotify is great for artists. But if you compare them with um, the existing music industry, they're they're earning a whole lot less. Particularly if you consider like a play to be equal to a um, you know to like a CD sale um, instead of like a radio play or, or a, you know, a pirated download or something. Um, but as Spotify likes to point out, um, you know, artists make very little money off, you know, sites like YouTube. Um, um, a lot of the, um, I mean, obviously if they have the corporate branding, they have the, the proper videos, then then they can make a bit of money. But um, but um, quite a lot of artists really do get um, chipped on that side of things. So um, it's very interesting to see YouTube ent- enter into the space and, um and compete with them. And one of the one of the things that Spotify said that worked really well is is having that hybrid model of having um, both the um, advertising model and the paid version. Because without the paid accounts, they wouldn't be able to um, pay artists anywhere near as much. Um, and so maybe it is the success of streaming companies like Spotify that's um, well, the success of Spotify, <laughs> I guess, um, that that could be driving you know YouTube to to bring out this kind of um, this platform. So the subscription service called YouTube Music Key will be invite only for the time being. 
with six months free followed by a promotional price of $7.99 per month, which of course is a lot cheaper than Spotify's. I think Spotify is about $14 a month. The regular price on its broad release will be $9.95, the same as Spotify. Okay, I, I stand to be corrected. Um, I stand corrected. Google Play subscribers, Google Play Music subscribers will also have access to Music Key. Um, it will operate in two parts, the desktop and mobile friendly to listen to music for free and subscription. Um, will enable various mobile features, including the ability to play YouTube music while sending texts or doing other activities on a phone and listen to music offline. So it sounds pretty similar to, um, to Spotify. One thing, though, that I'm, being per I'm perplexed about, why do these services not offer a donate button it would be so easy to do and i think more um, people than you know they think would would donate they can keep it transparent artists can leave a little note they can say you know um, we'd like money we don't like money or we you know and and i know with it's particularly some of the indie bands i listen to that I, I know don't fill out stadiums that i absolutely am passionate about i would absolutely donate money and if they would prod me and they would say look we're going to produce another album another donation would be nice i might drop another 50 bucks for them um why don't these services do that um i mean some of them definitely do um i mean there was um probably my favorite one that used to do this a lot was um how was it called it was the the 64 i think it was called um, anyway, this it was bought out by Twitter and it became Twitter Music and then it was shut down by Twitter because... That was the Australian one, right? Uh, we Are Hunted? Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah, maybe We Are Hunted, yeah. Or, or maybe yeah, or maybe there was like another one competing with it. It was called the 64. Maybe it was We Are Hunted. Anyway, one of those two. They did very similar things, which was they focused on indie artists um, and, and, yeah, they were primarily driven by donations and they had these various ecosystems through which you could sort of donate to artists and you could sort of purchase credits and stuff and you would get certain rewards for donating to them but primarily it was just just trying to sort of um, encourage people to um, to listen to and to donate to um, the smaller artists um, and I mean I think what it comes down to is it's just People aren't really that altruistic. I think that nobody is. Maybe you're you're more altruistic than most other people, Kevin. Um, I just I just don't think it makes a good model. Like I, I know I know when I've tried it in the past. I mean, back when I used to run my um, like video game site, and we had you know thousands and thousands of people, and you know just trying to get anything through donations, even though people were very passionate about the service. Um, you know, people were happy to be passionate for free, but unless there's some real value like tangible value that they get, it's much harder to say, you know, if you give us $10 today, we're going to make this song in six months, it's going to be available for everybody and you're not getting anything personally for it. I think that's quite a hard value proposition. Um, and, and I still think people are prim primarily, um, you know, driven by, you know, selfish desires. I think people tend to think in the mind frame of the, the larger cause most of the time, which is why it just makes a really hard model. Charles, what do you think? Um, I don't have much to offer, unfortunately, on that. The only thing that I would like to say about Spotify and the new Google Music Service is that they most probably won't be available to me. <laughs> well, I know Spotify is not available to me, and uh, I wonder if the Google Music Service will be available. Um, seems like they're not available in Africa or s certain parts of the world for some reason. I don't know if it's DRM or what the case might be, but yeah, I can't really partake in any of that. Mm, interesting. Well, it's an interesting space. I think it's um, 
yeah. I mean, I mean, Spotify, James, does have an API. I mean, I've, I've, I wonder how difficult or how, um, you know, what the logistics would be. You know, when things, are, when money's involved, it's, it's always tricky. But um, I'd almost be curious in layering a service that, um, you know, people can donate. Of course, then there's credibility and people are scared the money's not going to the artists and all sorts of uh, tricky bits and pieces like that. But... Um, I'd, I'd be curious. I actually know someone who works at Pandora in Sydney, an American that's moved here. I'm um, I'm due to have lunch with her pretty soon, and I'm gonna gonna chat to her about some of these issues. I think there's a cost involved with developing a platform to support that kind of donation system, and you know the the company who develops it would have to be altruistic as well, and that would be a sunken cost because they're not going to really make much out of that per, per se. And that might be why some people shy away from it. <laughs> Yeah, from the, the hosting company perspective, I think also the music industry is very political. You know, in terms of there's the the, the people who own the rights to the song, the publishers, which uh, which often are different to the band, and it's you know it's always been a a, a messy messy model, but um, which is sort of sort of ironic because it's definitely um, one of the on on average on aggregate it's one of the elements the creative elements that adds you know the most value on aggregate to people's lives so it's 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 quite peculiar that the industry hasn't um hasn't found a, a win-win um status yeah yeah money <laughs> money money drive money drives that industry and um, unfortunately when, whenever wealth or greed's involved the best decision for all parties involved is not always made right Absolutely. Well, and of course, with Bitcoin, maybe there's some Bitcoin can be wrapped around that. So <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Anyway, uh, it's um, thanks for listening to the It's a Monkey podcast, episode 50. If you like this format, please let us know. Tweet us, email us. If you want more news and less interviews or if you like the old format, um, let us know. We'll, we'll do this every now and then. We'll, we'll you know, mix it up. We might bring Chelsea in as well. Um, to provide her perspective but uh, we'll be back with interviews over the next couple of podcasts if you enjoy listening to us um, in general let us know we like putting these together for you but they are a little bit of an effort so we always enjoy hearing back from you i know some of you have tweeted us so from myself in sydney australia um, james in vancouver canada and Charles in cape town south africa um, we'll see you in the next episode in two weeks time thanks for listening goodbye